This episode, we're getting personal. Welcome to the 17th episode of Board Game Times, the podcast about the people, places, and events making tabletop gaming great in Chicago. As always, I'm your host, Clark Bender. Thanks for being here. You know, this is the final episode of the year, and so I thought I would try something a little different, also something a little lazy. I didn't want to go through the trouble of trying to wrangle a guest during the holiday season. So I thought, well, maybe I'll try doing an episode by myself I don't normally like to talk so much about myself. That's why I like to have an interview show so I can have guests on and I can ask them questions and make them do the talking. But I figured, you know what? I've been asking people the questionnaire all year. I should answer that questionnaire myself. And uh, I also thought it'd be a chance to just kind of talk about some top games and top notable experiences I had throughout the year. Give you a chance to get to know me a little bit better and again, have a nice casual ending for the year. First thing I'm going to do is maybe... Talk about some top games, games I've been thinking about, then talk about some notable experiences and thoughts I have on that, and then finally I'll do the questionnaire for myself, and then we will call it a day. So first off, let's talk about some of the top games. I kind of broke this down into a few categories that made sense to me. The first one is top games I played more than a couple of times this year, the games I kept coming back to for one reason or another, just because I knew the rules, you know, it was easy to get out with friends and get to the table. Here's some of the games that I consider to be on that list. I'm not ranking these, but first one that came to mind was Gloomhaven because I played a lot of it. I'll talk a little bit about that more in the podcast, but Gloomhaven's just a great game, right? Endlessly replayable. I've got a gaming group that plays it a lot, and we are like halfway through in terms of the number of adventures. There's like 90-some adventures in there, and I think we've done more than 50. So that's a game I played a lot in the last couple of years. Clearly had to be on this list. Another one I would consider is Brass, the Martin Wallace... I hesitate to call it a train game. It's really more like an economic game. Got a lot of great plays with that one. Uh, Very crunchy. One of the harder-nosed economic games we've been playing a lot of, but really enjoyed that. Getting that to the table has always been a pleasure. Recently, I've been playing a lot of this game, Furnace, which is a much lighter economic engine-building game. You bid on parts of industry. You put those industries together and out come various pieces, and you put those pieces into another one, and it comes out in a different way. Eventually, you're turning it all into money, and that's kind of the game. been playing a lot of it lately. The West Kingdom series of games by Shem Phillips. These are Architects of the West Kingdom, Paladins of the West Kingdom, Viscounts of the West Kingdom. Just a really interesting series of, you know, I guess what people would call Euro games at this point, strategic games. Having some iconography that's similar and some shared mechanisms, but also very different games between them all. Just really been enjoying these and looking forward to playing them all together at some point. He's got a way that he combines these into something called the Tome Saga, where you can sort of play all three of them in a row. That's going to be a full day or maybe a full weekend. Been playing a lot of the game Space Base, a great dice rolling game, right, where you roll dice and whether you're looking at the dice you just rolled to take an action or the dice somebody else rolled, you're always doing something. So you're always taking an action and doing something to build up your economy and ultimately the person with the most victory points wins. Uh, If you haven't played it, you really owe it to yourself to do that. Doesn't take that long to play once you know how to play it. Can really introduce it to a wide group of people and just fun all around. Seven Wonders Duel, been playing a lot of that, both online as well as on an app, as well as with people. It's just a quick game, really satisfying. 
you get a lot of gaming crammed into like 20 minutes of hard time play and also useful that there's an app and you can play it online. So that's kind of great. Betrayal Legacy. Uh, this was a game that I finally finished with a group of friends this year. So we played some Betrayal Legacy like 18 months ago, maybe two years ago. Only got four or five scenarios into it. And we finally made a concerted effort to finish this year. And we did. And it's a goofy, clunky game, but it's got loads of atmosphere. And going through that experience with a group of friends is just a blast because you've got stories to tell. You know, remember that time when we betrayed each other or I betrayed you and you killed me? A lot of funny stories that come out of that just really interesting version of that particular game. Betrayal at the House on Haunted Hill, I guess it's called. The legacy version of that. I recommend it as long as you're willing to kind of go on with a, a somewhat sloppy experience. It's all about the theme and all about the people you have around the table. Cthulhu Death May Die. This is just a big old-fashioned, big plastic figures, rolling tons of dice to make things happen. It's just a fun take on that whole Cthulhu mythos world. This one has fun with the concept and kind of the idea that you're going to take that god and you're going to make him physical by disrupting the ritual that's going on, and then you're going to shoot him in the face played a number of scenarios. We had one in particular we were just stuck on forever. And man, I'll tell you what, the night we got over that one, that was a big win. Loads of uh, dice rolling and lots of big dramatic moments. Just a fun time around the table, rolling dice and fighting against the elder gods. Camel Up, played a few times this year, and it's just a silly game. It's a silly racing game where you're betting on camels. And what's kind of fun about it is the race is almost secondary. It's really about how you're betting on the camels. They're moving in a very unpredictable fashion. There's even a couple camels that are going backwards, and the camels will land on each other and move each other with the other camels on their back. So it's a really crazy racing game. But the betting strategy is just kind of interesting, and it's also a great game for a large group of people. Finally, in terms of games I just played a lot during the year, Quacks of Quedlinburg, that's one that comes up a lot. It's really easy to introduce to people who maybe haven't played a lot of these kind of complicated games that we all like to play in the hobby. I've never seen it not work. Pretty much everybody I've introduced it to has had a good time with it and found it interesting, and they usually always want to play it more than once. So Quacks of Quedlinburg, game I always keep coming back to. My second category of games is games I played once that left a big impression on me. So I may have played these with a group of friends on a game night, or I might have been playing it at a larger gaming gathering. But for one reason or another, they just left an impression on me, and I'm kind of curious to get back to them or games like them. First game on this list, again, not in any particular order, is a game called That Time You Killed Me. I don't think it's quite out yet. It's coming out soon, but it was at a convention that I played it. And it's kind of a weird mix of a miniature chessboard. It's not as big a grid, like six by six, that has some pawns on it. But you have three different boards. One is the past, one is the present, one is the future. And you can interact by moving into the different eras. And it's all about kind of knocking your opponent off the board and making sure that you're the only one who is in multiple eras, right? The person who is only in one era, whether it's the past, present, or future, is the one that loses. And it's just got some really interesting mechanisms. You can travel into the past and that creates a duplicate of yourself. Uh, you can do things in the past that have effects in the future. I don't want to explain too much because it's kind of got a bunch of little modules you pull out one at a time that explain and explore new rules. But uh, I can just tell this one's going to be really interesting. I only played a couple of games of it, and I, I want to get back to that one someday. Another one that left an entirely different kind of impression, a good impression, but it's just a very different kind of game, is a game called Golem or Gollum. It is a super heavy Euro game. Lots of mechanisms, lots of wheels within wheels and tracks that you're trying to climb up and different victory conditions. 
one of the heavier games I probably played all year. And I'm just finding as I play more and more games that I'm kind of really intrigued with these heavy games. That's not the kind of games I used to play. I used to play very thematic stuff, you know, very horror driven or science fiction driven, lots of dice rolling and plastic miniatures. And so these European games that are kind of heavy, doing some interesting things, just keep on intriguing me. And Golem is one of those. This particular one just had a lot of different moving parts by some of the team that did Grand Austria Hotel and some other games I like. So definitely want to come back to that one. Beyond the Sun is another game I'm definitely coming back to. In fact, after I played it the first time, it left enough of an impression on me that I went out and got a copy of it. This is what a lot of people have called Tech Tree the Game, where you're basically competing with other people to sort of see who can climb up these tech trees fastest and get the most points. At the same time, there's sort of a little space battle going on in another board that's allowing you to get cards and worlds that you can claim to get you victory points. Just a really interestingly put together game. It looks kind of dry on the face, but a lot of cool decisions and interlocking parts that just can't wait to play that one again. A couple of older games that I finally got the chance to play left a really good impression on me. Uh, one was El Grande, which is sort of this classic area control game where you have got blocks representing you know, your various armies or leaders, and you're playing in Spain, trying to dominate parts of the board. But really interesting because there's always new rules every time. We've also got kind of a secret tower that you can put your action cubes in that allow you to take actions later. It's just really interesting. Just a reminder that there's a lot of really great games that aren't new games, that aren't even a couple of years old, that are there to be played. And that was a really great reminder. Another game similar to that was this game, Lancaster, that was uh, recommended by one of the interviewees on this show, Randy Eckel, as a game that he really liked. And I finally got a chance to play that with Randy and a couple of other folks. And again, just an older game with a lot of really good choices. You are playing on a map of England and you have a fairly limited number of choices, but the amount of complexity that creates. And there's laws that you vote on for each turn that are going to affect the kinds of points you might end up with at the end of the game uh, or at the end of the turn. That's really fascinating. And there's a certain cooperative aspect at one point where you're trying to fight France and trying to gather troops from the other players to do that. So just a lot of really interesting ideas, along with El Grande and some other games. A reminder that there's a lot of great games from the last 20 years or so that are worth getting to the table as well if you either have them or can find some folks to play them with. Another game similar to that was Raw, an old Reiner Knizia game. It's a sort of a bidding game with an ancient Egyptian theme where you're collecting tiles and those tiles get you certain points based on rounds. And the reason I think this one made an impression on me is I don't normally think of myself as a fan of bidding games, but this has got an interesting bidding mechanism. I don't know. It just, it, it left me with a different impression of bidding games and the idea that I should maybe look at them a little more. It's always going to depend on the kind of bidding game. And Knizia, I know, has done a lot of these bidding games. But uh, this one in particular, Raw, I just had a really fun time. Helped to have a good group of people who knew how to play the game. And I didn't even do that well, but it just interested me. It felt like a game that I could be playing more in the future at some point. Finally, just a game I played once that left an impression is Chicago Express. And I guess the reason this left an impression is I guess I can kind of like train games. There's kind of this whole other wing of board gaming, right? That is all about train games and 18xx games. And this isn't really an 18xx train game. It's kind of a cousin of that. But it was a reminder that those games are interesting to me and that I kind of like certain aspects of them. It's interesting because there's really no luck in the game. You know, there's no dice rolling. There's no cards, really. It's just choices and kind of an internal economy with a stock market. And uh, you can just make really interesting choices in that game. You can buy into somebody else's train line just so you can tank it. 
You can try and get your own train line going and keep people from buying stock. It's just got some really interesting choices, most of them built around strategy and not luck, which I just find really interesting. So definitely worth playing. Another category of games I'm just talking about is games I look forward to playing more. I maybe played these a couple of times. Sometimes I just played a game by myself or soloed once and played it with a group of people once. But I can see these coming back to the table a lot. I won't spend a lot of time on this. Concordia is definitely one that's kind of this classic game of trading in Italy. I'd heard really good things about it. And when I finally got a chance to play it, really liked it, bought a copy for myself. Haven't even had a chance to play it yet with my regular group, but I think it's going to resonate well with us. Really simple mechanisms. You pick a card and kind of do that action. And there's really only like seven or eight actions you can do. And you just do that over and over. But from that, a lot of complexity comes up and it's just a really cool game. Sort of a group of games I would say I look forward to playing more are these games by Alexander Pfister. He's just a designer I've decided I'm really enjoying. I don't know why exactly. I need to look into that more. But he's designed games like Maracaibo and Great Western Trail, which I've played both a couple of times. Uh, and a new game coming out called Boon Lake. There's just something about the way he structures his games. There's a lot of complex mechanisms within other mechanisms. He often uses a rondelle or a, a track that you will go around in circles in different speeds in different ways. And that can kind of accelerate or decelerate the game depending on how other people are playing. I don't know. I always find the choices just very interesting. One of those games that at the end of it, you feel like you only did five or 10% of what you could possibly do and you still had a good time. And now you want to go back and explore those other things. It's just uh, something I really like in a designer. Another game I look forward to playing more, Dune Imperium. Just played that a couple times, but I also just got the upgrade kit for it now with all the cool plastic minis, so that kind of has me charged up to do that. I also just like its type of play where you have some cards and you have some worker placement where you're choosing actions and there's kind of a battle, so there's a little bit of contact between the players that I enjoy. Kind of related to that, a lot of people compared this game with Arnak, The Lost Ruins of Arnak. I played that a few times and definitely want to play that more. They have some similarities in that they both have deck building mechanics and also this worker placement mechanism, but very different games. Otherwise, both of them have expansions coming out in 2022 that I'm looking forward to playing. So Arnak, another one. Isle of Cats is a game I played a couple times, and I just think that one's going to get to the table more. Looking forward to maybe introducing that one to my wife because it's got this tetromino action that you can do, and it's got both a simplistic side to it, but you can also make it more complex by having lots of extra victory conditions and ways of counting your points. So really good one I'm looking forward to. Caverna, a classic game by Uva Rosenberg about dwarves having caverns and a farm next door, and it's really just kind of a worker placement, building your farm, building your engine. I just found it really pleasing. I can see why it's so popular with people. It's one of those ones that at first sounded just dull as dirt to me. It's sort of the successor to Agricola, which seemed similar to me. It's like, ooh, farming simulator, big deal. But this was really fun and I uh, have not played it with other people yet. I suspect it might be kind of a table full of people playing solitaire, but I know there's also a little bit where you will collide with other players and have some interesting choices from that. So looking forward to giving that a try. I think that one's going to be fun. Next one is Nidavellir. I'd mentioned earlier that I don't usually think of myself as a fan of bidding games, but Nidavellir has also got this bidding mechanic where you're bidding on cards that are dwarves, and you're sort of doing set collection based on that, and you can either collect sets of a certain type of dwarf, but you also want to have dwarves from different, each of them have a different color of flag that they're associated with. 
the more you collect either way, you're going to get certain bonuses. But then there's this bidding layered on top of it, which is just interesting and seems very fair in terms of how it allows you to, you might lose one round in a tie, but then you'll get the tiebreaker for the next round and just a lot of interesting choices. So Nidavellir, I think I'll be playing more of in the coming months and years. Five Tribes. This is a game I only played a couple of times. It's kind of a classic game. It's by Days of Wonder. It uses that Moncala where you're picking up figures and sort of dropping them on tiles around the board and the tile you land on is the one you're going to take the action on. Really look forward to getting this to the table with multiple people. I just played it solo a few times, and I can tell this is going to be really interesting. Even though it looks kind of like this light, easy game, I think it's got a lot more depth in it than I appreciate, and I think that's going to be really fun to play. Finally, in this category of games I look forward to playing more, I'll mention the game Orléans, or Orleans, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Just an interesting bag-building game where you're collecting workers in a bag, and then you've got this board. You can take all sorts of actions falls under that category again of games where you have so much you can do and by the end of the game you feel like you've only done 10% of it and you still feel like you did a lot and you just that challenge to come back and try it again and do more. I love that feeling. Can't wait to get this in front of my group and see how they react to it. Final category of games I'll talk about is games that are just sitting on my shelf that I really want to play, you know, the shelf of shame. Plenty of those and I'll talk about it briefly in the questionnaire as well, but just a bunch there. Eclipse, the big space game. It's not quite a space opera, right? But it's just a big space game that allows you to have shipbuilding and exploring the galaxy with some cube pushing mechanics. Just sounds like fun. Really looking forward to it. Grand Austria Hotel, the second edition. I had the original edition, but then I kickstarted the upgrade because it's got some kind of cool additions like a solo game and some interesting new expansions you can put on top of the base game. Just a lot of interesting mechanics tied into one another, and I'm a little bewildered by it, but I'm also intrigued by it. So looking forward to finally getting that one to the table. La Havre, the classic game by Uwe Rosenberg, which is, again, kind of an economic engine builder. Been sitting on my shelf, played it a couple times electronically, but haven't played the actual game, and I know it gets rave reviews, so I'm really looking forward to playing that, and I think it's going to really resonate with my gaming group because they like economic games. This is a silly one, but Car Wars, the sixth edition, I kickstarted that and got this gigantic cube full of plastic and the rule set and cards that drive it. I used to play Car Wars way back in the day when it was the first edition and it was just tiny little pieces of paper on a map. So it's got a lot of sentimental value, but I'm really looking forward to seeing how they updated the game. It looks like they made it very playable, even as they made the miniatures more like the size of matchbox cars, right? Everything's much bigger on the table. So it's kind of a miniatures game, which I used to play more of, but kind of looking forward to seeing that. Plus, it's just chaotic and usually a blast. And I know folks that are in my game group want to play it because it's just one of those games you look at and you say, oh, yeah, that, that looks fun. After the Empire is a game I've had sitting on the shelves for a while. This is a game where each of you has a castle and you're going to take the turn sort of preparing your turn for invasion by barbarians. And then at the end of the turn, the barbarians are going to invade and they're going to maybe knock your walls down and get into your castle and do some looting. And then you're going to do it all again for five or six turns to see how it all goes. But it's fun because there's like a miniature castle and there's plastic pieces. So there's just a lot of eye candy to it, which I enjoy. Totally different kind of game, Nemo's War, which is built to be a single player game where you're Captain Nemo raiding the high seas. Looks like a very complex single player game. I know they say you've got some multiplayer variants, but it's really supposed to be single player. Just briefly looking at the rule book, I can see what people are talking about. It's clearly got a lot of rules and big, beautiful map, and there's a lot going on. Really looking forward to diving into that one because I hear it's a great experience. So we'll see how Nemo's War is. 
Undaunted Normandy. This is a World War II card-driven combat game, a two-player game where one of you is the Germans, one of you is the Americans. Again, just really heard good things about this, that the card building mechanic is quick and easy to understand, but also gives you surprisingly gets you invested in the soldiers under your command. So I think that's going to be kind of interesting. Again, I've heard good things about it, and I like to play games that I've heard good things about. So we'll see. Another one that's been sitting on the shelves for a long time is Underwater Cities. It's a game about building an underwater city. Big surprise. It's by Vladimir Sushi and has gotten just good reviews. It seems like a version of Terraforming Mars, but underwater. I think it's a little more complicated than that, and it's got a lot more activity going on, but looks interesting on the table, a lot of interesting game mechanics, and I think that one's going to be really fun. And then the last one I'll just mention in this category is a game called Australia. That's Australia with a Z, not an S. It's by Martin Wallace, the designer of Brass, and it's kind of this weird mix of a train-slash-development game overshadowed by Cthulhu and the old ones. So there's kind of a military aspect. And it's basically like you're trying to explore Australia and get resources, but you need those resources so you can fight the old gods. It's a strange game and turns are ticked off by time in terms of the activities you do. Like the bigger activity you do, the more time it takes, the farther you move along the track and whoever's farthest back on the track is the person who's going to move next. So it's just got some interesting mechanics and kind of a just a goofy theme that I enjoyed the concept of. So Australia, we'll see. Also, there's an expansion coming out for it next year, and I'm curious to see what that looks like. I think it's supposed to be better for a smaller group of players, as well as giving you some different options and new maps. So that's a lot of games I just went through. Sorry to inundate you with those, but hopefully some of those are ones you resonate with. If you've played them before, let me know about them. Let me know if there's some I should add to that list. I'm sure there are. I want to take a moment, though, to talk really about top experiences. The games are really important, right? But I think the top experiences that you have are are what really stays with you. A lot of that's because of games or because of a particular game. But I kind of identified five things I looked at as big parts of my gaming experience this year that were important to me. And so I just thought I would share those. The first one is playing solo or against automated opponents. This is a vestige of the pandemic, right? beginning of the year, we still didn't really have a vaccine. So playing with a lot of people really wasn't a great option. So I've been playing solo or playing the automated solo opponents in a lot of games. And that was interesting. It was fun. Solo games that are specifically built for solo, like Under Falling Skies or Legendary Encounters, Aliens, have been very fun. I enjoyed doing that. But I also have been really intrigued by these games that are built for multiple players originally, games like Maracaibo or Wingspan or the West Kingdom games I mentioned or Dune Imperium, but that the designers have specifically put in an automated opponent or an automa, call it what you will, a solo variant, where instead of just trying to replay your own game and get the most points, it's simulating an opponent that is taking actions on the board and maybe occupying spaces that you can't occupy or taking cards away from the top of the deck so you no longer can draw those cards. I just found that really interesting and satisfying. It's not the same as playing against a person by any means. While I don't mind playing solo, it's I think it's always more enjoyable to play with somebody else, but I like playing the solo games as well. I just find that really interesting and kind of pleasing, these games that try and stimulate an opponent. And the ones that do it well, you really feel like it's putting pressure on you to play your best game possible. It feels like a good way to learn that game, kind of get the basics of some strategies going in your head. And I feel like when I've played the Automa opponent in some of these games, it just makes me a better player when I finally start playing against somebody else. So that's been an interesting experience for 2021. Second one I'll mention is online gaming simulators. Again, because of the pandemic, 
couldn't get together with people. So you sought out these ways that you could play against other people, but that you weren't in person, right? So these are things like Tabletop Simulator or Tabletopia, where they're 3D simulating the entire game, or Board Game Arena, which is more like a 2D depiction of the game, but it does a lot of automated work behind the scenes. So they're both very different approaches, right? Tabletop Simulator and Tabletopia it's more like a, a virtual reality simulator where it just hands you the pieces and you still have to do all the work, right? It'll allow you to hold the cards and shuffle the cards and put the cards on the table, but it doesn't play the game for you. It doesn't control any of the game. At most, some of them are scripted where it'll do things like set the game up for you or maybe calculate certain things. But generally speaking, you have to do all the work. Great for learning games or playing a game you all know really well because the 3D graphics can be very bright and the board can be well-represented, the pieces are well-represented. So you kind of feel like you've seen the game. Doing that and playing Board Game Arena, which is a little more of a situation where it will keep track of the score. It'll keep track of a lot of the actions. It'll do some of the hard work of maintaining things for you. All those experiences, they're a great way to still get a chance to play those games with other folks. You can hop onto Board Game Arena and either play a real-time game with them or even one of these games where it's like you each take a turn a day and it just kind of plays out over the course of a couple days or weeks. Different way to play games, but I think it still helps you appreciate the tabletop gaming experience. Really interesting last couple of years. Of course, in terms of really notable experiences, I would say group gaming events for me was just really big this year. It was the first time in a couple of years I was able to really participate in group gaming events. And because I'm still relatively new to the hobby, I, I hadn't done a lot of big group gaming events anyway. So I did three really this year. I went to Protospiel in September, which is for game designers who want to show off their games. Then I went to Gaming Hoopla in October, which is just a small local game playing convention uh, up in Mundelein. A couple hundred people get together and you just play games out of their library and you either bring your own games or whatever. But I haven't done a lot of that before. And then I also went to the Dice Tower Retreat in November, which is run by the Dice Tower podcast YouTube channel. And again, that was a couple of hundred people. It's a very small convention. It's really focused entirely on playing the games in their gaming library. Their library is massive. I think they had 2,000 games there lined up against one wall. So it's really just sit down with a group of people, grab a game off the wall, and play a game. So all of those events were just fantastic. I got introduced to so many new people and so many new games. It was just really inspiring to me personally. I mean, coming out of the pandemic, obviously it was wonderful to be able to play games with people and having them teach you a game or teaching them a game or playing a game you're all familiar with. It's just sharing that love of gaming to finally be able to go to those. That was just a real highlight of the year. Just a couple other highlights left. And I have to say, starting the podcast has definitely been one of them. I'd been thinking about a podcast for a couple of years and just enjoying the hobby and seeing other people do things on YouTube and hearing other podcasts. I wasn't sure what I could bring to the scene, but what I really felt like I could do was celebrate tabletop gaming in Chicago in particular. The city is big and we've got a lot of really amazing talent in terms of designers and people working in industry and store owners and players and just big events. There's so much going on in Chicago. I really wanted to celebrate that. And I specifically, I know it's kind of boring to do this, but I specifically want to call out the guests that I had on the podcast this year by name because they all took a chance on a podcaster that they'd never heard of who didn't have a podcast that he could point to. And they agreed to be on the show and to talk with me and to share their knowledge with me. And I just feel like I have learned so much about gaming this year from them. Gaming in Chicago, gaming in general, 
the business behind gaming, what it takes to run a business around gaming. It's just been so fascinating to me. I don't know if you've listened to that many of the episodes of the podcast. I hope you have. But if you haven't, please go back and listen to these folks because they are all interesting people doing something that speaks to their heart. And I think that's really inspiring. And I hope you find it inspiring too. So anyway, I just want to specifically thank the following people. I want to thank Patricia Gonzalez of the Athena Board Game Cafe, Randy and Maxine Eckel from Protospiel and Clever Playing Cards, Danielle Reynolds, game designer, Beth Hiley from Board Game Geek, Kenneth Height, who's a role-playing game designer, Lex Dunning of the Chicagoland Games Dice Dojo, Rich Curtin of Games Plus, Valerie and Nick Schrag, Andrew Stiles, and Stephen Ungaro, who I spoke to at Protospiel, who are all budding game designers. Justin Bell, who's a reviewer from Meeple Mountain and an all-around game player here in town. Ben Rossett, game designer and uh, head of HR for Panda Game Manufacturing. George Jeros, who runs GJJ Games, as well as some great charity events in the fall. Mary Cousin of People of Play. Jason Brooks, a budding game designer who's just getting his first game fulfilled off a of Kickstarter right now, so look for it. It's called Legacies. And finally, Drew Lovell of Bonus Round Game Cafe, who owns the cafe with his wife, Courtney. Thank you all for being on the show and taking a chance on somebody you'd never heard of before. Thank you very much. And finally, in terms of laying out great experiences in gaming in 2021 for me, I'm just going to say game night. I had a lot of different game nights this year. I had game nights with some new people. That was really great. Always fun to meet new people, find out new sorts of games that you maybe don't play and hear what they're passionate about. That was just fun. But also with people you know, right? I particularly want to give a shout out to my wife, Kim. She is not a gamer. She has been so great to me during the pandemic playing games with me. There have been some really wonderful games we've discovered during this time. Games like The Quest for El Dorado, Forbidden Desert, Lost Cities, Shot and Totten. Kim has been a wonderful gaming partner as well as being a wonderful wife. I just appreciate everything she does and the fact that she indulges me in this hobby is something I'm incredibly grateful for every day. I love her dearly. It's something special. There's nothing more I can say. Finally, in terms of game night, I want to thank my regular weekly Gloomhaven night group. This is Jim, Josh, and Chuck. We play Gloomhaven pretty much on a weekly basis. We also intersperse other games. They indulge me by letting me introduce a variety of board games that are sitting on my shelves to them. These guys have gotten me through the pandemic. I don't know how many games of Gloomhaven we've played, how many weeks. It's certainly been 50 to 60 weeks worth of gaming, and we're still only two-thirds of the way through Gloomhaven, but by God, we're going to finish it because Frosthaven is on the way, and we have to. Having this group to depend on, to play games with, has just been a godsend for the last two years. It's kept me sane. It's allowed me to indulge myself in this hobby of tabletop gaming. Can't say enough of how much fun I've had with them and how much I look forward to that regular weekly session with them. It's a blast. You guys rock. Thanks for everything you do. So that's what I've got. My kind of look back at 2021. That's gone on a lot longer than I thought because I still have to play the mini game. So let's wrap this episode up. Clark, are you ready to take the mini game questionnaire? Why, yes, Clark, I think I am. Fire away. Okay, Clark, first question. What is your gaming beverage of choice? Diet Mountain Dew is definitely my number one choice. Anyone who has been around me for any amount of time has seen me with a Diet Mountain Dew can or bottle in my hand. That's definitely my gaming beverage of choice. If it's a drinking occasion, I would say a nice Belgian ale or perhaps a scotch whiskey kind of a drink, a brown liquor. 
would be my choice of beverage. Next question. What is your preferred number of players at the gaming table? I'm almost not sure I'm going to ask this question anymore because it feels like everybody has pretty much the same answer. And it's the same answer I'm going to give, which is like two to four people, probably three to four people, really. I mean, two people for two player games, right? That's a very specific thing. But I think three and four starts to open up a different kind of game that I really like, a little more complex, a little more interactivity going on. It just creates a variety around the table. It's enough people to talk and kind of have side conversations. There's something about that number of players that seems like the right number of players. Uh, The next question, what is your most admirable gaming trait or behavior? I think teaching and my willingness to learn and teach rules is probably one of my number one traits. I enjoy learning games. I enjoy reading the rules. Not everybody does. And so I can be counted on to really dig into learning the rules, teaching people the game, and trying to keep people on track, you know, without getting too hung up on it. I mean, I'm a kind of a rules lawyer, but I also, there's a certain point where you just kind of got to go with the flow. So I'll also say that I'm an omni gamer, so I'll play just about anything, which I think helps in certain social situations. So the next question is the flip side. What is my least admirable gaming trait and behavior? Uh, We probably don't have enough time if I wanted to list all of them. But I would say I definitely have a habit where I can get too invested in the game. I don't think I get shouty. It's more about that wanting to win so much that you kind of get a little whiny about what's going on. You know, if you're having a bad roll of luck, you know, I can get a little whiny about that kind of stuff. And I really don't like it when I do that. I'm trying to control it. I'm trying to do better. But that is definitely my least admirable gaming trait or behavior. My friends might have other ones they'd like to add. Next question. What is a type or genre of game you love to play? I would say thematic games in general were kind of always my go-to, right? Like sci-fi games, horror games. I was always big into like dice chuckers with lots of minis, those kinds of big Ameritrash sorts of games. But I also feel like I'm in this big discovery phase right now where I'm kind of in the early part of really getting back into the hobby. And so I'm discovering so many games. And so I don't have a mechanism I can point to right now, but I'm really kind of digging these economic engine Euro gamey things with lots of choices and lots of crunchy decisions. All right, then. Next question. A type or genre of game that you just don't enjoy? I would say social deduction in general, I don't love. There are some exceptions to that rule, as with everything, but I I don't know. I just don't love... They don't instantly appeal to me. Maybe I just haven't played the right ones with the right group. There's just something about them. I don't know if it's the necessity of lying sometimes. Not like I can't lie in a game or mislead, but it's just something about those games I don't love. I also don't love judging games where it's kind of like everybody gives an answer and then the judge has to determine which one is the favorite. Whole genre of those sorts of games, not my favorites. Okay, the next question then is a physical game component that you love. There's a lot of these, so I'll try and keep it simple. Minis was always something that attracted me to games, so that would have probably been, if you'd asked me a few years ago, well, what is it? I'd say, oh, miniatures, for sure. The more I'm playing games, though, I'm also finding myself attracted to some of the just finer components in these heavier Euro games, things like double layer boards and metal coins. I'm just really digging them. So minis, metal coins, but double layer boards, there's something about those two layers of cardboard that are so useful in games that I just really love them. Okay, now a few game questions. A game you own but haven't played. Talked about a few of these a while ago, but I saved one because it's definitely sitting there and waiting to be played, and that is Kemet, the new Blood and Sand version. Kemet Blood and Sand, the Kickstarter. 
This is the kind of game I always thought I would really want to play. Dudes on a map. It's ancient Egypt and giant scorpions and giant scarabs. And you're all fighting each other all the time. And it's encouraging you to fight. That one's going to get to the table soon. Can't wait to do it. Can't wait to show it to my game group. That's definitely one I uh, have sitting on my shelf of shame. And I can't wait to play. Next question is a game you really want to play but never have. This is an answer that I think a lot of gamers will give. At least a lot of a certain kind of gamers. But Twilight Imperium 4. I definitely want to play someday. You know, the legends of people playing that game for eight hours over the course of a day and having a gigantic epic space battle is right at the heart of what got me interested in gaming to begin with. So may not be this year, may not be next year, maybe five years, but I want to play that game someday and I can't wait to give it a try and see if it lives up to all the hype that it gets. Finally, a game you currently want to recommend and why. Well, it's my podcast, so I get to cheat. I've actually got three games here that I'm going to recommend, sort of a light, medium, heavy version, I guess you could say. The lighter game is Quest for El Dorado. It's a Reiner Knizia game. It's a deck-building game where you are racing through the jungle to get to the Temple of El Dorado. This is just a great, light game. A little more complex than some of the simpler stuff, but it's still pretty easy. game that my wife and I have played a ton of, and it's just I just really love it. It's a really easy game to get in the flow of, and once you've played it a few times, you really start to see the wheels turning. game I highly recommend. Furnace is another game I'm recommending. This is a little bit heavier. I kind of talked about it earlier in the cast about this economic engine that you're building on top of a bidding layer. So you bid, but even if you lose the bid and don't get the card you want, you're going to get some compensation for it, which makes it feel like you're not getting totally burned. And it still allows you to run your economic engine, maybe not with quite all the cards you thought you were going to have, but that gives you other advantages. So just a great game and it plays quick and it's tight just really fires up those parts of your brain that like calculating possibilities and watching things get converted to other things and into other things. Really great game. Furnace, highly recommend it. And then finally, on the heaviest side, I'll recommend Brass Birmingham. I had seen reviews of Brass Birmingham and people talking about how this is a great new version of this game. And I was very curious about it. Hadn't played a lot of heavy games like that. Bought a copy of it, played it with our group, and it is just great crunchy and you've got to learn some fairly straightforward rules that end up having a lot of complexity. It's a a modern version of the older brass game. It's also beautiful, this particular production of it. And I got the one that's got the big heavy poker chips in it. Really recommend it. If you haven't played it, I feel like it lives up to the hype. May not be your cup of tea as it were. Just a really interesting economic engine of building your economic empire in 19th century England with coal. And you can just kind of feel it as you play the game. So Highly recommend it. That's what I got for you. I finally made it through the minigame myself, so hurrah for me. Congratulations. Thank you for sticking around if you did stick around. That's it for this episode, and that's pretty much it for 2021. I'm probably going to take an episode or so off to enjoy the holidays, recharge my batteries, get some guests lined up. But I'll be back again in January of 2022, bringing you some of the greatest personalities in Chicago, talking about events and places and things you can do in the tabletop gaming hobby here in Chicago. So please stick around and plan to come back. Let me know what you think about this episode. I'm sorry I went on so long, and hopefully you found it kind of interesting. Anytime you can reach out to me, I appreciate it. You can get to me at clark at boardgametimes.com. Again, that's times with an S. You can also go to the Board Game Times Facebook page. Please do go there, like it, follow it. Great way to ask me questions as well. So please check that out. And you can also help by sharing the information about this podcast with your friends. If you have game playing friends in Chicago, let them know about the podcast. Rate and review the podcast wherever you find it. I really appreciate it. 
Thank you all so much for listening in 2021. Here's to a great 2022 for all of us. Until next time and next year, thanks for listening. Play lots of games, be good to one another, and may all of your board game times be the best of times. Take care. Thank you.